This is Gemma Redgrave, and you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 510 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where we've been in your podcast player since they first arrived in 2003. We just forgot to unmute the microphone, so you didn't hear us until closer to 2011. I'm Kier. I'm Haley. I'm Jay. And I'm Julie. This week, the third special of 2023 answers the question, why this face, while introducing us to a bright and happy new one in The Giggle. As the Doctor and Donna return to a world in chaos, they quickly learn, with the help of Unit and some friendly faces, that the Toymaker has hidden in a crazed... No, that's not right. Not hidden in. Try that again. <clears throat> that the Toymaker has hidden a crazed message within every screen broadcast since the 1920s. They are quickly drawn into dangerous situations that put them and the world at risk. As the Doctor continues to punish himself with guilt and Donna tries to convince him that it's not entirely his burden to bear. The newest game between the two powerful beings ends with a seemingly horrific result, and just when all looks lost for the 14th Doctor... A completely unexpected new type of regeneration takes place, forcing the old nemesis into a two-against-one odds game, and introducing us into our 15th Doctor, played by Shuri Gatwa. I played them all, Doctor. I toyed with supernovas, turned galaxies into spin tops. I gambled with God and made him a jack-in-the-box. I made a jigsaw out of your history. Did you like him? The master was dying and begged for his life with one final game. And when he lost, I sealed him for all eternity inside my gold tooth. There's only one player I didn't dare face. The one who waits. Who's that? I saw it, hiding, and I ran. What do you mean? <laughs> That's someone else's game. I don't think there's any way that we want to try to discuss this in s- anything resembling a chronological order. <laughs> Because almost the episode itself is structured not to be. <laughs> I was going to say, we're, we're close to Time Lords, so we can do it in whichever order we want. We, we right. heal backwards. <laughs> so then what is, the, what is the first thing that sort of pops to your mind when the, the credits roll and you sort of look back at what you've just experienced for the last hour and two, hour and three minutes and think, whoa, okay. Why is it over? Can we just keep going now? I don't want to have to wait a whole two weeks for a new episode. We get way too spoiled in this weekly <laughs> yeah, release. A reasonable amount of time to wait. Oh man! 
Well, uh, we do get shortly after uh, opening credits and all that we've got our first glimpse of Neil Patrick Harris as our toy maker character and some of the choices that he makes. <laughs> so, Jay, you had some thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Neil Patrick Harris doing what he does. Uh, you know, you've got him juggling, you've got him doing magic tricks, uh, dancing, singing, the whole nine. It is almost like this script was custom built to fit him. But we found out from RTD that that is not the case. It's actually he was trying to decide who to pit against the doctor for the story and eventually settled on the toy maker and then realized that as he was writing it, that really only one person could fit the bill. So Count Olaf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> accent choices. Count Olaf. There, there yeah, were yeah, some yeah, accent choices. There you go. Yeah, and I'm, I'm still puzzled by them a little bit about about uh, why to why to keep coming – like after the reveal or after he's sort of sussed out, why he decided to keep coming back to the overly ridiculous German accent. Because it's – that's the – and NPH was talking about it. It's like the character – it doesn't have a face, doesn't have an outfit, doesn't have like a specific thing that he's he's just, you know, if, if I'm in a toy shop, then clearly I'm a toy maker and I have to wear that outfit and I've got to use the voice. And if I'm doing a, a dance number in the middle, middle of unit HQs, I've got to have the big band outfit going. And, you know, it's it's just whatever he thinks suits what he's doing at the time. I think the ridiculous German accent worked when he was the toy maker in the toy shop, like when that was the role he was playing, it was odd that it kept coming back. Yeah. I felt like it was him jumping back to the extremes and trying to regain control of the situation when he felt it, he was losing it is when he would jump back to that accent is kind of the way that I saw it on the second or when he watch. when he realized he was losing it was trying to clamp it back down. That's yes, exactly. So he's okay. he kind of would switch back to the no, I'm the toy maker, and this is how you should see me. But then would switch back to the I'm not going to say gentle, but the <laughs> British accent more when it oh, was the erudite, yeah, yeah. When he was caught off guard, and oh, you you would like to play a game now, and mm. and the mocking voice was the American one because you know yeah. why not. And then we at one point, it. it's actually a French accent too, right? He yeah, I was going to say, I think it's more the fact that he tried to do the French accent and everyone behind the camera was just like, no, no, Neil, can you just go back to the German, please, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, the the French was just out on the street when he was being very playful it's, and trying to not be noticed. I think that was his Heidi voice. <laughs> Wait, Heidi? Well, she was German too. Oh. <laughs> No, but I mean, having having somebody that can stand up against David Tennant though was was kind of crucial for this story, and it's you you really allowed David Tennant to with the goofball nature of the toy maker and the ridiculous accent, it kind of helped to highlight the emotional points that David Tennant was trying to to hit with the Doctor. There were times when their energy levels would fall into sync as well. Not necessarily the same uh, emotional tact or their same intent, but their just their intensity levels. Whether the, it was the toy maker being overly chaotic and 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 ridiculous when the doctor is getting amped up and and uh, sort of surgical in trying to pierce that, it followed a uh, an interesting sort of parallel on on that sine wave so to speak and i will say i liked the 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 use of the the old footage 
when they are introducing him as the toy maker. Yeah. yeah. Glimpses of Hartnell too, about mm-hmm. when I was younger and I thought I was clever. I'm like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a that's a good one. All right. Kudos for that line. I think one of the things that I loved the most about their ability to play off of each other, as well as when Shooty was brought in at the end, is the micro expressions. So getting the zoom in closer and really see what they're feeling. What are those emotions? What are they going through? And not having to hear them say it, but to really show it on their faces. Just phenomenal acting. Even knowing that that was done probably on a green screen, um, because it was sort of cast and uh, and produced to be an outdoor setting, meant that they had a lot of sort of the exposure levels really high so that you could see everything very stark as far as every twitch of the eyelid and 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 the um shooty's reactions when he's listening to or observing an exchange between 10 and the toy maker and waiting for his moment like because he, he didn't just step in and take half the lines like you would expect in some sort of a oh we're twins so i start the sentence and i finish the sentence they didn't play that he sat back and would be present, which is something, Julia, I know you and I have commented on a lot about Shurigatwa's performances in sex education. When he is not the center of the scene, he is still 110% in the scene and mm-hmm. is always super cognizant of that. And I, I love that about him and his acting style. But even in the uh, the realm at the beginning when they're sitting and playing the cut the deck game, that back and forth and those super tiny little twitches of a cheek or a lip or an eyebrow or, a, you know, just so small, but so expressive. Just loved it. <clears throat> and two of the best actors you can find for like a subtle cheek twitch as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The look of utter disdain that the toy maker gives Donna when she's like, but he's going to cheat. And it's just like, how dare. <laughs> yeah, shame. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that they both said no at the same time, though. It's like, no, shame. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They both absolutely understand the twisted nature of this. I liked that explanation they were giving Mm -hmm. about, or that that the doctor gives when he's standing in the unit HQ and saying, no, you see things as, you know, chaos and order, but that space in between is play, and that's him. That's that's not something you, you normally put a lot of thought to. You think, oh, you know, shades of gray... You know, everything's not binary. It's not good, evil, black, white. It's gray. But that's not the choice of words. It's play. And that's – that says to me sort of this this undulation between the two, but it always stays within the barriers of the rules. Mm-hmm. Because if you drift too far, if you adhere – uh, to one side of the rules, then, okay, you're doing things the good way. And if you completely break the rules, no, that's not fair because you're doing things the evil way. And we're neither of those. That's a really, really interesting space to to sit between. But I think he would have always been the king. So the doctor would have had one tiny shot to have pulled the ace card because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that was never going to be <laughs> different. I want to know that the ace in the deck had a baseball bat. And a bomber jacket. <laughs> there you go. We're not there yet on our rewatches. You have to wait a little bit. Well, that does get us to the fact that this, like many of the the, the this trio of specials, has a lot of references 
to things going back not only within the post-2005 uh, era of Whovian lore and characters, but it pings a number of them uh, to the past because we've got Bonnie Langford there as Mel, who uh, I think, Jay, you may be the only one who's really familiar with. So I'll yeah. ask that I'll ask uh, Julian Haley as far as like trying to get a crash course introduction into who Mel is or was or should be. Did it did it feel comfortable? Did it did it sort of slot into place okay? Or did you still feel like you were missing a page out of the book? So I actually I think the first one of the earliest episodes I did of the podcast was when we saw Mel's exit. So I did have some background on her character coming into it. I saw her recaps in some of the 50th anniversary stuff, so I have a little bit of an idea of her exercise-induced behaviors, or however you want to put hmm. it, uh, encouragement. encouragement. And I think you get the sense of who she is because she's just bright, bubbly, that carries through for sure, that the doctor really cared for her because you got a couple of moments where he was very excited and then came back and gently said, hello, how are you? And just really checked in. And I really liked that writing in the pace of you don't stop the first moment you see someone after that much time. You deal with what's going on and then you do that quiet like, hey, hey, how are you? What is going on? Kind of check in. So <laughs> I haven't fully met her, but I do hope that that is how that carries through. And that I liked the the fact that she is the one to hand the doctor the thing and just walks up. It's like, here, this is for you. And when he doesn't react, she just continues handing the 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 thing to Donna. It's like she's like, he'll see me when he sees me. You know, not right. like she was just waiting for the pin to drop. And it is, I think, so endearing the fact that knowing Bonnie Langford and knowing the things, her strengths in her. Uh, in her skill set as a performer, gets to play into it because she gets to do a little bit of dance when she gets tied into that sequence. She gets to do a little bit of singing because she is a talented musical actor. Um, so all of that gets to gets to be a little part of it. But specifically, the fact that Mel was given short shrift as far as recognition by viewers because she wasn't there long enough for people to really know how intelligent of a character that she was really intended to be. People just remember the scream. That was like she always got saddled with that bit. And the fact that she is the first one to get picked up as uh, unit staff sets mm. a brilliant precedent when it then when the job offer then gets handed to Donna. I think that's that's a great ball getting rolling there. And the fact that we finally get to see her behind a computer screen. I mean, they, like she's a computer programmer and we never see her use a computer the entire time she's a companion. So it, that, that just felt like a nice bit of closure for me, honestly. Well, there's not a lot of computers on the TARDIS. <laughs> well. They did not offer her any coffee while she was in the room either. Uh, wise so move. just please, please note. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think that kind of rolls into one of the things that I felt as a theme or mm, presence is that in that room with the doctor, all the power players were women. You had Donna, Shirley, Kate, and Mel surrounding and supporting the efforts and being the ones to solve the, the puzzle. And also when... The toy maker pops out. He takes two of them out, and it, you feel like that's a that's a choice that he made to kind of do a dance and take them out of the picture without 
turning them into balloons. So I love <laughs> seeing that and the representation. Is this a only in this episode or do we feel like that's going to continue? Any thoughts on that? I think we're headed in a direction where we're going to see this more often because we did have the precedent of it with Tegan and Ace previously and Kate. You know, basically, whenever Kate's in the room, it's going to be a, a, a power women scene. There you go. That's just done. So just keep rolling Kate out. But yeah, I I, I think this is well within the bounds of, of what we will establish as our baseline. Yeah. And I mean, they, they really are kind of – you could see in this episode that they are laying the groundwork for the, the unit spinoff. And I mean, we've got – You've got Kate. You've got Shirley. Uh, you know, like they're going to be some of the the big names in this. So yeah, I, I really do think that it's going to be. Uh, I mean, we're at least going to see women in a uh, a much bigger role aside from just you're there to answer or ask questions so that I can tell you and be smart. We've seen a fair amount of tea up that we know that Shirley is being prepped for a lot of returns. Yes. Um, Which I love. And well-deserved. Yes. It it was weird. They gave her a way to get on the TARDIS, but then she didn't get to get on the TARDIS. (laughs) I know. That drove me nuts. Yet. Yet. But it wasn't... Right. It's not his episode yet. Mm -hmm. And I want want her to have the it's bigger on the inside moment when it's their turn altogether. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some sort of a situation that demands, I need need more scientific prowess in here right now. Mm-hmm. So and I'm, I'm going to go like, grab my super brain. Yes, exactly. Also, I I think it's it's also there for for Wilf to you know pop on, have a spot of tea or something when he's done yeah. with the whole with the shooting moles, moles. Yeah. shooting at the moles, not actually shooting, shooting at the moles, the not actually shooting the moles because they have force fields now. I love them. <laughs> what, what did we think of the the Vlinks as just a random drop in? Like, I, I know it's going to be a thing for the unit series. Oh sure, but did did it work for this episode when you have no explanation, nothing? It's just kind of like, yeah. that's her thing. <laughs> yeah, it has to be because it's going to be it's it's the Mister Smith mm-hmm. yeah. for the next I, spinoff. I right? was thinking it felt very Sarah Jane Adventures to have it. Yep, there. Yeah. absolutely. Because I have a feeling it's going to be something that's supposed to appeal to uh, slightly younger because it's going to be sort of military. It's going to be ops, but it's going to be smart and it's going to have alien tech and it's really borderline goofy at times because it's a spinoff. And I felt like there wasn't a moment at all of is he supposed to be there or is it is that creature supposed to be there because it was just take it in stride clearly – this one knows answers. Why'd you call it that? It was a good name. Like it clearly <laughs> has <laughs> determined what humor is and fits in with whatever is going on there. So I liked it. I think it's a good, good placement. Always got to appreciate practical puppetry too. Mm-hmm. And in this case, something for the doctor to have a commonality of other than the humans and to True. to have that reference point that you don't get from just looking at a computer, what other alien is here? It's, hey, you got this? Yeah? No? Okay, negative. Mm-hmm. It's all you that are having this issue. Mm-hmm. And and getting Nick Briggs to do more voice work never hurts. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't pick up on that, but I wasn't paying attention enough, I think, <laughs> to, on purpose. <laughs> that, was, I, that was not the name we were looking for in the credits. <laughs> yeah, no, right. I, I will admit it was the second watch through when the credits were rolling and I happened to glance at the screen. I'm like, oh, crap. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if, if very similar to Sarah Jane, if we got a spinoff, if we get a spinoff, they would be kind of like how we got the Mr. Smith episode where, oh, you know, how did this alien tech come to be, you know, your, you know, your mm-hmm. eyes, your, uh, what is it? The, your guy at the desk, you know, mm-hmm. guy in the chair, guy in the chair. That's it. That's the yeah. expression. <laughs> well, and then Only, we also he's get not the- on a chair. <laughs> he's kind, well, he kind of is the chair. We'll also get the episode where he turns evil for some reason because of his background. <laughs> Obviously. Because mm-hmm. he didn't take the vaccine. You, you mean the uh, the, the ZDX. Right. Yeah. I, I was kind of expecting yeah. that. Yeah, because it's totally a different thing. Right. <laughs> I was expecting it to be like, oh, wait, the ZDX is evil too, and now it controls all of UNIT. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this show has never really wielded social commentary with a scalpel's edge. It's always been a bit more of a, a hammer. Uh, and this very much felt like, it's like, hey, these people are being stupid and not using the thing to save them from thinking they are right and that we are out to control them. It <laughs> doesn't take a, 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 a brilliant mind to, to make that connection. And there's really no retort to that. Because it's basically the thing boils down to the fact that, okay, you get angry over everything and everything is a personal attack upon you. Okay, so here's that blown to full scale. We give you what you want. It all goes to hell. And now you're going to tell us, nah, that's wrong. Because we're showing you what it looks like when we let everyone say, nah, that's wrong. And I liked the explanation that we got from the guy standing in front of the car in the middle of the road. Yeah. <laughs> like the first time through, I was kind of like, that's weird. Second time through, I was like, I don't know. Oh, no, I do like it because it's one of those you almost feel like you're being explained to. And then it's, it very quickly turns. It's like two days ago, they all thought they're wrong. <laughs> they're right. But no, I'm right. It's me. I've been right the whole I've time. I've been right the whole time. And then just storms off into who knows what other thing is the thing. And there's but, that snake just gnawing on that tail. Om, nom, 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 <laughs> Yeah. I think the thread of social commentary flowed through this episode from the very beginning where we see that kind of stuff. And then the doctor's speech in the unit uh, task force room, not allowing everyone to blame the giggle, saying this is who you all are. And then the toy maker echoing that and furthering, upping the game, making it making it very apparent using language that we see today. So it's both placing it in time and also pointing, I was going to say shop light, but that's not what it's called. <laughs> the spotlight. Spotlight. On this very real, I mean, it's just the reality of what we live in and what we deal with. So was that, to Jay's point of it? it's not hidden, it is very out text. Was it too much? Was it spread enough apart that we didn't feel like we were being bashed over the heads? I know for the most part, maybe we're not the direct targets, but some of it with the screens and all of that, like definitely. We're not the ones making the angry YouTube videos that are prolific right now. Correct. We're not the ones uh, typing and canceling and just sitting behind our <laughs> our uh, comment boards. So, yeah, I mean, is it was it too much? Is it too on the nose? Was it worked in enough to allow it to be... Proper commentary? I think to a certain degree, it feeds what we talk about often, which is the fact that that statement or that observation, rather, 
is wielded by both your protagonist and your antagonist. Once as a you get what's coming to you, and once as a you've done this to yourselves, but neither is sympathetic, is tied into, to a certain degree, of our repeated conversations about what makes a compelling villain. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of this is, you are a problem. I have a solution. You're not going to like it, but it makes sense in my mind. So well, it's compelling. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like, you know, he's he says he's making it a game. You know, this is about play. But also, that's how people treat a lot of these things of like, I am on this team and you're on that team and I'm going to win. And him taking us the thing that we are treating like a game, but saying that it's not a game and then actually making it a game where everyone thinks that they are right, they are going to win, uh, was a very interesting thing to have him do. And I thought it was also very interesting to have Tennant's doctor, again, be the one to come back and have this negative view of humans when he very often had like a very almost awe for humanity the first time around. Mm -hmm. And like the journey that he's been on, the things he's been through, the things he's seen and done, has tainted that view of humanity a little bit over the course of however old he is now, a billion years since the <laughs> last time that he wore this face. It's it's also the the fact that the, the toy maker, when he's talking about his, you know, I've grown so fond of these humans. This is such a fascinating little place because of all the games you play. And then he says things like, oh, in the mind games, mm-hmm. you know, and that that is a really interesting sort of lens turned back to the audience uh, that, uh, that again, I, I think it just makes the toy maker more, far more interesting this time around than maybe was yeah. given opportunity on first pass in 66. Yeah. I, but I feel like, go ahead. Just going to say, you still got some of that playing of the games and the weird dolls and the stuff in his realm without making it just about that and, and a reanimation of, that episode brought to life. It was, there's a little bit of it, but then let's deal with the, what makes this real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like the, the speech from the doctor might have gone on a little bit longer than was necessary. I want to say was, was comfortable, but it wasn't meant to be comfortable in the first place, but it, it felt like it, at some point in there, I was like, okay, yes, I get it. This is how humans are. The, he just took away the filter. And you're still going with it. It just, I feel like that could have been trimmed a little bit and still been just as effective. But that's aside from that, like that, that's the only thing that really kind of stood out to me. And, and that, that's my own personal take on it. So I don't know. But I wonder if some of the vitriol that started to eke out of that was because of where the doctor was at Possibly. that time. And that at that point, it was like the, the, the momentum of that discontent kept it from being something that normally or or if he were in any sort of a better place he would have gotten two-thirds of the way into that and then caught himself and said something but oh but i love you all let's go on and and, and do something silly and kind of just um just swallow it for, until yeah. another day i don't think he's past the point of being able to swallow anymore and that's kind of part of what we're addressing here in these specials but i will say in that whole scene i I loved the cameo of Trinity Wells. I like the fact that that RTD brought her back. Yeah, that's true. So we've got the toy maker in this story, and it was established in the last story how they were going to bring him here, which was the line of salt at the edge of creation 
Does that explanation really hold water for any of you as to why that worked to bring the toy maker into our realm? So the taking the gamble at bent truth and using a superstition as a means to manipulate and you're right on that barrier of one universe potentially crossing into another or that that gray area. So I I I think Jay I think you were the one that during that episode was talking about the fact that that was going to become a, a factor, right? One of us did. Yeah, I suspected it was going to be the be the case, but I mean, to use the vernacular, yeah, you he saw the chance and rolled the dice. Right. The fact that that's addressed and then it becomes part of the part of the canon so that when the toy maker gets placed back within the box, the box gets put into a vault and the vault Sealed is with salt. Yeah. So <laughs> that's now salt, yeah. part of yeah. That mm. that that persisted better than Mavity. <laughs> it's true. Hey, we don't know yet. There was no Mavity in this round. I <clears throat> I have Jay's address and I have a quarter. But there's a little case. bit of time left. <laughs> they had a yeah, perfect opportunity I mean, to use it too, with like the unit guys falling off the building and then the ball going know, off the building. Yeah. Like, I, there could like have been a I don't think they've hit the there. ground yet. Mavity's pretty strong from up here. <laughs> they caught that for I, time. I saw it. Oh yeah, that, mm-hmm. that was yeah. I will say with the the unit soldiers getting turned into bouncy balls, and then that line of like, "Where are my guys?" It's like probably still falling. Thud. Like. That was horrific. Yeah. The doctor, when they get turned into the balloons or the bouncy balls or what have yeah. you, and Kate and just like, turns no, I'm sorry, to him, dead. yeah, and <laughs> says, "Where? What just happened to them? No, they're dead. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do." It's really, like the last yeah, two it, episodes have had a lot of body horror kind of stuff with the yes. not doctor with and the not dolls, Donna. but yeah, the guy who became a wooden puppet. That's horrifying. Yeah. Even just the dolls coming out of the dark and having that painted face and then the, the wee babbies coming from the mm. ceiling. I I almost had to turn away. I was like, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. Stooky babbies. I don't ever okay. want to say that name. Stooky? <laughs> Stooky. No. Oh, okay. Don't tell Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have been referencing the fact that... It's been a journey specifically for the 10th slash 14th Doctor to try and figure out why they are there and why they are harboring that face and dealing with situations that make them remember or steep them in the the guilt that has been compounding that never seems to let up. And it actually gets to sit there and, and doled out. It gets itemized at one point in the script to say, you know, you're dealing with, you're dealing with uh, the, the loss of Adric. You're dealing with the destruction on Legopolis. You know, you're dealing with, with the, the river songs loss and, 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 and. Mm-hmm. So then they come up, I, they, all Russell's brain coming up with this idea of doing therapy out of order. And this absolutely fascinated me. This was the one thing, if you talk about the one thing that I think was the takeaway, not just necessarily from this special, but of this entire arc of three, it's that idea of saying the doctor has witnessed atrocities, the likes of which cannot be recorded. They're too, too vast and too numerous to be chronicled. How do you deal with that? Well, you have a being that has the gift slash curse 
of longevity and the ability to be able to take future iterations to process. Tenant's doctor was going to be the one that does this work. And because he does that work, future generations will have the benefit of that work having been done. Yeah, and that's that's what they end up saying because you know the 14 is is like, well, you seem okay, and 15 is like, yeah, because you fix yourself. We're doing it out of order. Yeah. That's the way I took it as well. And that there it it, it is still 15 saying giving the giving tenants doctor the permission to do it to slow down to take the time you don't have to carry this weight anymore you can go figure this out because by the time you get here i'm good we're good and future us is fine but it is the work of that doctor to to fix it to slow down to enjoy family to see that realized and understand why the fight why why do we keep trying to do the good thing? Why do we try to sacrifice ourselves and go and be the Time Lord and the Toymaker and try to say, you have all of this power, you should choose good, why don't you? If if the Toymaker had taken the Doctor up on that, totally different ending to this story. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it is Shooty's Doctor saying to Tenant's Doctor that you're allowed to not be the person who makes that choice. You're allowed to slow down, spend time with these people, take small side trips, hopefully that are not too adventurous, never going to happen to have them sit still. <laughs> but that kind of thing is, is a different kind of weightlifting, but it's still responsibility on that doctor to go figure it out before we get to be shooty. Yeah. Well, and because there's two of us now, I can be the one to go off and deal with all the new things that are coming up and you can process all the things we've already done. And both of these are equally important for us to be able to move forward. Because we're rehabbing in reverse. Which, I mean, I don't know how much more we want to talk about this. I have so many questions about what this by generation means for the future of the doctors. Um, are they going to generate back together at some point? Or do we now have two branches of the Doctor Tree that can regenerate? I really want to see a future where they generate back together. There's something like a two Doctors story where it requires the both of them and it needs the experience that Tennant has taken on. And we have to get that so that we've we complete that circle and remain the true timeline or whatever you want to call it. Or it could be something as simple as like 14 has already generated whatever prefix you want to put in front of it. And once he hits the end of his, his lifetime, he will just pass away like anybody else. He still has two hearts, but he he's going to age now normally yeah. and actually yeah. become an old man. I mean, there, yeah. there's plenty of ways that they can get out of it. There's plenty of ways that they can spin it going forward to come up with new stories. It's Or we now have infinite doctors because they can all bi-generate <laughs> and we end up with an army of doctors. <laughs> we have a me- Dr. Mebas. <laughs> I've heard the speculation that like every doctor up to this point has bi-generated. And that's how we're getting the older doctors in the Tales of the TARDIS stuff. It's just it's multiversal kind of stuff. And I don't know. They just got pulled off I'd- camera. <laughs> I was going to say, well, or, or they're bi-generating, but it's into a different universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they split I'd- and it's a different. <laughs> I I like the fact that it was 
the the doctor himself called it a myth. It's like no, by generation's a myth. It's never it's never happened before. It's never supposed to happen. And then fourteen telling the toy maker specifically, like you did this. Mm-hmm. So you know maybe the whole line in the of salt you know bent this kind of possibility as well. And but it's it gave the explanation of like this is why you've never seen it. This is why you'll probably never see it again. It's so super rare that this is a once in a universe kind of experience that gets us out of this spot. Russell gets to do his multi-doctor story without having to bring anybody else back. <laughs> and, and here we it's, are. It's how you have a toy-like <laughs> uh, hammer that you get to go and knock another TARDIS out <laughs> so that you don't get to, you don't have to see David Tennant just break down and cry and be dragged off the TARDIS being like, yeah, it's going to hurt. Get out. So I, I think it does give that permission to play in that world for this moment, but yeah, how they handle it. I could see it going in multiple directions, but I, I like these theories of either we get an old man, we get a re rejoining or amoeba doctors. Yeah, I, I think there's a beautiful symmetry to them generating back together at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, or they treat it as kind of a Schrodinger's solution, where it is something that is, is out there, and you can interpret it as you want. It's not addressed again, and it, it's like the handy doctor. You know, it never gets put back into the mix. It's just there. If you want to pursue it in your mind's eye, go for it. But I do speaking specifically about the the idea of like working it in or or, or calling it out as a myth, and it's not supposed to be happening this way. Putting that in the script. Once again, it's like taking all the naysayers and all the ones who are going to say, this is ridiculous, this is absolutely outlandish, and say, yes, hi, welcome, Doctor Who. It's an outlandish show. We've done ridiculously stupid things on the regular. It's what keeps it fresh, and it keeps yabos like you talking all day long. You're welcome. So I, the last points I think to hit are a couple of the big bad things that came up. In this story, uh, we find out that the toy maker faced off against the master and turned them into a gold tooth, which mm-hmm. drops mm-hmm. out of the toy maker's mm-hmm. mouth and gets picked up by a hand wearing red fingernail polish. I looked at those fingers on rewatch really closely. Uh, it, it was it was just some PA. They they don't know what they're <laughs> going to do with that. It's just we haven't seen Jinx Monsoon yet. It's true. Yep. Uh, I don't know if that's somehow supposed to get incorporated. Huh? I said that was not her hand. I don't know. Fairly certain. Um, I think also, I would bet. I don't know. I already have a quarter out. Hold on. I can't bet, but. How many quarters do you have? I know. How many quarters do you have? have. I haven't. Yeah, I I will. I have endless supply of some amount of quarters. No, I think uh, all that I do hope is that if it is a previous iteration or future iteration of the master that or or whenever this comes back around i just don't want it to be something that is an immediate reveal i would like for shooty to get to do some of his own thing and establish his doctor before we're introduced to whoever the new master will be i was hoping it was the ronnie's hand who we have not seen in forever but that she would pick up the master and have complete control over whoever the next iteration of the master. Mm-hmm. S- s- some kind of spell or potion that in bringing him out, him or her out yeah. would 
necessarily mean that they're beholden to her instead of a, them just being off on their own. Yeah. That's I'd a like can it. of Coke. You're supposed to dissolve a tooth in a can of Coke. I, I read that once. <laughs> yeah, but it's gold plated. So I think you got to go to the roots. It's great. <laughs> right. It did also, have the root. In there. Yeah. Go oh, back, yeah. go back and check the, uh, the, when he, when he's talking about that and shows off the gold tooth. Like seventy four teeth, oh, little <laughs> tiny There's teeth. Multiple oh. moments where there are too many teeth in that thing's mouth, and that oh, is the so moment gross. that when I watched it again, I realized when he said that you know full well this isn't a real face. I was like, you're right, but stop. Yeah, and that was a physical prosthetic that that, that NPH had in his mouth too. It was great. Yeah, and they used it a few times, and I didn't mm. like it any of them. No, it was terrible. We had a good group of people. We were theorizing quite a bit about the, you know, the hand, the fingernails, the picking up the tooth, and who could it be, and and what could it mean. We had all sorts of fun theories just flying around the room as we were going. Um, the the Ronnie did come up. So did Missy. Mm-hmm. Missy saving mean, her future self. <laughs> saving herself. He's saying, you know, picking up a future me that I need and plunking me from point of danger to point of safety and then going back about my timeline which could be a fun fun twist and give us one more michelle gomez appearance or a few or, or a few yep could be uh yeah the, the ronnie was a good one and there was one other julie do you remember who it was I, I forget who we were we didn't know whether it was going to be in any way related to the boss that the meep talked Correct. about or yeah. the one who wits or the my hordes are coming threat from the toy maker himself. Oh, the toy maker, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so I'm I'm suspecting that the one who waits is going to be our thread moving forward. That's going to be the I don't know if the one who waits is the master. I it's doubt Amy it because Pond. the toy maker referred to them like separately. Mm-hmm. But or is it, it the uh, boss? The meeple? The meeple? <laughs> the meeps <laughs> boss? <laughs> the meeps the yeah. boss i i think that might that's probably going to be the the storyline that carries us through i think the master is just a name check for the character and a punt it down the road because we might need it later mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but i don't think that that's going to be something that plays it it could be i don't know russell does what russell does and and we love him for it but yeah i think he's I, swinging harder right now I, he's trying to do some things that sort of break a lot of the expectations and sort of break a lot of the format for that very reason, so that he can't be accused of just opening up the same bag of tricks. Ooh, or what if we don't get the master out of the tooth? What if we get someone who has picked this up and is going to use it as a bargaining chip against the doctor in the future to say, you have to choose, save your compatriot that you've grown up with and with all that backstory where we've seen the master be forced to make that choice of do you save the doctor or do you let him perish or save this planet save this Mm. these people or or something Mm. like that so it could be a twist on that and then the tooth is the leverage which it was literally right at their feet they hugged and the master was right there (laughs) does nobody look at the ground (laughs) Tenant was barefoot too. He he could have stepped on that he thing. Probably stepped on it and didn't even know. Everybody Gross. was not looking well, there, down. There was a lot of glass no railing on me. that building, and they didn't want to get vertigo. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Who built I mean, this? The Galactic Empire. Yeah, people and the ball just fell down. <laughs> yeah. Stark Industries clearly built that tower. 
I, I want to see the one guy on... The- it did look like Avengers Tower. <laughs> I want to see the guy on the ground who gets hit with a juggler's ball falling at, like, mock God 30. Like, Well, I assume everybody had cleared out after the two unit the guys. bodies. Yeah. Yeah. But, or... No, en- the enough person time who passed. Ca- somebody was coming to check him out. Well, uh, whoever it is happens to be, like, reaching for a hot dog from a vendor and catches it and immediately somehow becomes part of the game and didn't even realize it and that's the big bad <laughs> i see i was thinking we did not see the ball hit the ground and that was Correct. the rule like is the ma- the toy maker's gonna get out on a loophole of like actually it didn't hit the ground it landed in this stroller <laughs> and still has not touched the ground <laughs> well that would be thing. a question did he say that you couldn't you couldn't miss it or you couldn't drop Whoever it. Whoever drops it, I think, is what yeah. it was. Okay. Yes. So that was definitely a drop. Like it hit the fingers and went over the edge, but yeah, <laughs> it never hits the ground and then eventually comes back to someone who now has the toy maker's powers. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say that the the entire threat of the you know, the whole world gone mad and things like we see a couple news clips and stuff and we see the the one intersection that they're in, but beyond that, this felt kind of like a bottle episode. Like you, you didn't see the aftermath of all the things. You didn't see anything, and it was just kind of like, if the whole world's going nuts, let me see more of that. Because yeah, units here to now. It's like they're now. they're they're going to make reference to it. Like, hey, you remember that that time like a year ago when we all went crazy for like two days? That was wild. And like, I feel like they did a decent job of showing the scope of it on the screens when they first showed that up. That was their out, yeah. Putting the yeah. putting the footage on, on the monitors. And and literally being down in the trenches with it at the very beginning, like things blowing up and if they had had just like a couple scenes scattered throughout of like here's a random area in some portion of the world where you see people fighting for like three seconds just to remind like, hey, this is going on the whole time that they're trying to sort this out. I think it would have cemented it a little bit better for me personally. More like what they did in um, uh, some of our other larger scale uh, world in chaos episodes where at least you're just cutting from newscaster to newscaster in different nationalities. Just, Kinda, yeah. just reporting on it, not necessarily on location. Yeah, I mean, that could have worked too. Just something like have it throughout the story because at this point, like they mention it at the beginning and then it's not referenced again. It's it's all focusing on the Doctor and the Toymaker, which obviously that's the main point of the story, but you, you lose sight of what the larger scale threat is. Right. I think you muddy the waters though if you keep cutting away, which is something that Doctor Who suffers from a lot because you've got so many different locations and it was a jaunt out to go see where this was coming from after we got the reveal of what's actually happening and then back and then it was really focused and i think you break that focus if you keep throwing that into the mix it's possible it's it's just something that kind of stuck in my craw the first time i was watching it or in, in retrospect rather they could have had the newscast with the sound off like playing on the screens in the background in the unit control room or whatever. that would have been a good one yeah. right and there were screens at the end that did not get used. They were up on the walls and you could have still had things because it's still happening. People like some kinds of aftermath, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. During the, the send off scene. Yeah. The cleanup and you just see. Yeah. Um, was it like UN blue helmets and stuff out there? trying? Yeah. To she said blue protocol and get the somebody on the horn and mm-hmm. you're the jump pack jet 
something. <laughs> yeah. and, and letters and numbers. Letters and numbers. Activate. Yeah, it was like Blue Lagoon. You're you're the, the <laughs> Blue Lagoon. What did she say? She was like, you're the, the yeah. She says like you're the comms or something. Like they're they're going to handle it now. But the the fact that Kate. Like specifically, it was like, and I want the names of those soldiers. Like that—that yes. that was what she finished on. I was like, that's why I love her. That's mm-hmm. why I believe she's the head of unit. That was a through line throughout. She's always wondering, you know, what happened to my soldiers? What happened to my staff? Contact their families. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that is pervasive, and I think that speaks volumes about the kind of character that she's supposed to represent. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> While still scooping them all in and being like, Donna, come work for me. You come work for me. <laughs> yeah. You got the skills. You come work for me. She and that she didn't. She didn't slap the doctor. She hugged the doctor as like a, oh, you're here now. We've That's how I knew how bad things were. Because you see the look on her face and she approaches and does not beat up, but hugs, which I don't know if we've ever seen her hug anyone. <laughs> but yeah. even in the when she was going to sacrifice herself in what we've seen before, where she's going down with her old prior building and mm-hmm. she's got other people who are willing to stay and help her. And she says, no, get out. And there's no emotion and no hug, no physical, anything like that. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, this is too much. That's how I knew how serious it was. And I did not forget that. we got some incredible stuff from Gemma Redgrave in this one. Um, specifically, mm-hmm. like when when she's able to demonstrate being off of the control of the band yeah. and... Mm-hmm that that descent into the righteousness and then the the remorse when she's back and the apologies and, and when she's looking to Shirley and I mean that's that was amazing from her it was just, just such a such a fascinating ebb and flow through that I loved it mm-hmm. the the mention that uh like as she's talking about Shirley and being like I've I've seen her stand like it's you know this is Russell kind of pointing the finger back at the audience, being like, "Yeah, she moved her leg in the first. Day. Like, disability doesn't look the same for everyone. It's it, you know, it, it was very much pointing a finger at that. And you know, the the actress I can't remember her name off the top of my head right now. Just like you could feel the weight and the reality of that when she's like, "There's absolutely no need. I understand." They sounded a lot of things off of her because there's the line that Donna's talking about, you know, companion. Oh, that makes me sound like you know, granddad. When we park him by the. Oh, is that is that you know is that inappropriate? She's like, ah, borderline. Borderline. And what I like about that is you know that then Donna won't use that phrase anymore. Like she's Damn learned. Yeah, she, exactly. She realized yeah. it after. She's like, hmm. Yeah, is this okay or am I out of line a little bit? You're a little bit out of line, like real close. Yeah, so I I think that, or I hope that we continue to get tidbits like that because it is we saw that in the first episode and we see it now. And I think being self aware is how we as humans can, will learn to be mm-hmm. better, and mm-hmm. that's what I think a lot of this episode was about. It's like we all fly off the handle sometimes. You get upset, you can have opinions, but you learn and think about it and shift or change and don't be that. (laughs) Just don't be that. And own up to it. (laughs) Yeah. Say I'm sorry and then move on and don't just don't do it again. It's okay. We all make mistakes. We're all human and time lord. Can I ask a question unrelated, but it's going to sit with me for at least two weeks and three days. Um, the inclusion of the jukebox, specifically as the one anachronistic element of 15's TARDIS interior. It's like the hat rack 
mm. in the middle of the room. What's mm-hmm. the what's the tie-in? What do you think the tie-in is going to be? This doctor's going to play tunes. Yeah, 15's going to have dance parties in the TARDIS control room. Like I'm expecting like a lot of a lot of old school music. Is it an extension of this persona? Yeah, that's the vibe I get. It's going to be uh, he he will emote with music and lights, and I think that's why we get a dynamic TARDIS. That is, I mean, he walked in and immediately the lights changed. Or he pushed some buttons or, or something. Yeah, he, right? cha- like he changed the, the light specifically, yeah. He did. Mm-hmm. And I think that setting the tone and understanding that your entire presence is something that matters, I think is going to be really powerful with this doctor. And you get that yeah. from the very few moments that we get to see him together with well, Tenet. Yeah. And it, it gave Tenet the, something to see and be like, oh, jukebox, not my TARDIS. Turn around and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> often just sort of assumed that the massive shifts from one generation to another uh, in persona is because of the fact that the doctor is now in a different place and is now who they need to be for that moment. So Mm -hmm. now that we've sort of found a way to find our path back from the dark, dark woods that we've been living in for who knows how long, does that mean that this is a time for a more uh, joyous and um, joie de vivre kind of a persona? And so the jukebox is that idea of, I'm just going to put it on random, boop, and wherever the wind blows. I think there's going to be some purpose. I feel like that doctor was, has it will have a plan, and we'll see how that comes to fruition. But I... Um... It's, yeah, it's more than set dressing. Like it, yeah. it stands out very starkly compared to the white, you know, the Apple store look of the, the rest of the TARDIS. <laughs> like it really does kind of stand out. So, you know, it's not just like, hey, we're putting that there just to be a bookshelf or something. It's no, it's it's going to play a part in something. Do you think we'll start seeing more pieces added to the TARDIS as we go through this season? I would like that. Honestly, I would. Yeah, let's build the TARDIS together as we learn who this doctor is. You yeah, mean, he's kind he's of, just like eclectic yeah. and he picks things up and like this is mine now. I need this or not necessarily <laughs> taking them, but just it starts to appear and shift because the TARDIS is in is attuned to the doctor and is like Adding you need this wants. now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll have one of those. I like that idea. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> and being able to set the doctor's own stage instead of relying on others. We've now had two very traumatic instances where our enemies were dancing in front of us. Why don't we claim that back? True. Yeah, I I did have a little bit, I think I had said this before, uh, a little bit of a flashback of the Rasputin moments of the dancing Mm -hmm. in this, but it felt very different. Um, It was less therapeutic and more (laughs) show-off-y. Of a dance, so. Uh, but I think that's shades I, of kind of what audience expectations are now from a from a major title show. They can't be, you know, camera one, camera two, uh, and then you know dialogue back and forth, a couple of chases across a field. It has to have a little bit more large scale entertainment value to it. To just sort of stay in the same caliber as a lot of the stuff that the that it airs against or with. Or maybe, maybe it's an attempt 
by Russell to say, you know, I am sick of Strictly Come Dancing eating my lunch every freaking week. <laughs> Come I'm watch Dancing on Dance our show. show. Yeah. It also has flowers. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two points in the story where we kind of get big chunks of things that have happened to the doctor up to this point that are where all this trauma and baggage is coming from. And it's interesting that Yaz was not mentioned because that was a big farewell moment. We did just kind kind of just have it, but another character that was set up as a love interest for the doctor and not talking about how that affected the doctor. I thought that was an odd omission. I wondered about that. The only thing that I would say is that the, the ones specifically included were the ones who died and Yaz Mm. is not dead. Yeah. But it's in the, in the, the puppetry, the marionette recap that was being done for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay. This individual, this individual, this individual, the flux. It start. It grabs a real broad brush for the last one. That yes, deaths on a massive cosmic scale. I wonder to a certain degree if that. And it wasn't just there. It was like there's other points where, you know, you you could have had some sort of other inclusion of some of our most recent companions, yes or otherwise, really. Mm-hmm. But that was all really just jumped over because I don't know if it was something that Russell felt was his his space to play in for a little bit. Uh, or, or else risk being accused of trying to manipulate someone else's story after the fact. I don't know. I don't know it's, if I'd it, call it manipulation of the story or just latching on to an emotional beat that I don't know if we're ready to have yet because the death of people is different than the loss of a potential love or romance. And I think... We didn't get enough of it, and we want more of it, of course. And I wish that you could go through the entirety of what mattered to us. But just like the doctor says, if I were to tell you everyone I've ever met, we'd still just be sitting in the TARDIS years ago because I don't have time to go through that. And Donna continuously is like, who? Excuse me, who? (laughs) But Uh, In in the narrative, though, I think that it works because the the toy maker is trying to make a connection with Donna. Like he is telling Donna the terrible things that have happened to people like her, to the companions. She's not going to fall in love with the doctor. Right. And have to be said goodbye to. So that's not going to ring for her. But these people dying because they're on adventures with him, that's going to resonate with her. And then the flux being the thing that just, this is what is eating at him right now. Mm -hmm. This is why he is not the same doctor that you saw. I guess it's odd because every companion since Donna is mentioned, and it just so happens that all of those companions had death-like exits from the show, except for Yaz Mm -hmm. and the fam. Yeah. Well, unit's not done hiring yet. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, let's bring her in. She's got that cop background. Mm-hmm. Well, we will have an opportunity to parse this and the two preceding specials and the special to come, the special who waits. <laughs> um, uh, but we will get through that one. Um, but I, I do... We're going to sort of treat them in a, in a sort of a set, since that's what we're going to be um, thinking about and mulling over for a little while until we vault into into our next series proper. But I got to say, sort of looking at what we've just been handed for these three, I'll call them the you know the Disney trio for lack of a better term. At 
did these feel actually as they were branded as specials or did this feel like a little mini series? I thought it felt more like yeah. specials. If I feel like a mini series, a three part mini series, each part would be more t- closely tied together. Whereas this felt like individual stories with some characters carrying. Yeah. Agree. Mm-hmm. I would always watch them together, I think, mm-hmm. because they do have those threads that bind them. But you could watch them one off and you don't have to know that immediately before this something happened or immediately after this. That's what happened. Mm. Even down to the third. That's kind of surprising. Yeah, even down to the third. Yeah, like you don't have to know that the meep was there. Of course, knowing who the characters are that bookend, like knowing who the fam is, but you will get the idea. And they they do that moment like Firefly where they're like, this is the niece, this is the mom, Mm -hmm. this is the friend. Like they do recap that. Yeah. But now Mel has a family, which was what she said she didn't have. Mm-hmm. She's the orphan yeah. with a family now. Yeah, so I yeah. think that they that you the that part of the picture, even if this was a standalone, you get that. If it's a mini series, you don't understand the end one because you missed the first two. True. Right, very true. We actually have some news this week. <gasps> we do. News that we can actually digest for a second because we're, we're not right. still trying to process what's about to come. So he's only been viewed on TV for about 20 minutes at this point, but we already have the 15th Doctor's new sonic screwdriver, and it looks nothing like the other Sonics we've had before. Ever. Yeah. But I think that's fun. I think we're ready for something that's not necessarily just a straight up <laughs> stick shape. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't actually turn screws. Why does it have to look like a screwdriver? But it does turn screws. I, yeah. It always has. <laughs> I don't know. The, the shape gets to me. It's like it looks more like a, a, a weird TV remote than anything. But it, <sighs> Well, I was looking at some nasty comments because what? Why do you do this to yourself? Well, how could those possibly end up on the internet? No, within uh, 30 minutes of the, of the little clip. Uh, airing mm-hmm. and people saying, "Ah, oh, guys, just yet another thing that's been ruined." Blah 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 blah. It's the Sonic garage door opener. It's this, that, and the other. And some people are saying, "I'm sorry, Sonic sunglasses. That was dopey." <laughs> you know, so this mm-hmm. and the other thing, and they're like, "Well, th- this would never." You know, the 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 master had his. I'm like, "All right, whoa, stop right there." Missy's tissue compression eliminator <laughs> looked like a cell phone, mm-hmm. or even weirder, like I, at one point a, a compact case. Right, mm-hmm. didn't look like the TCE with the little wheely whoop. Uh, didn't look like the laser uh, screwdriver that the Sim Master used. That thing went through all sorts of iterations too. So, yeah. if it's a multi-tool, which it has clearly grown into at this point, do whatever mm-hmm. you want with it. Yeah, and it's for me personally, it, it's not the it's not the fact that it's different. I want to put that out there, and I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not adverse to change. I personally don't care for the shape from what I've seen so far. It may grow on me. I don't know. But so far, I'm just kind of like, eh, not my favorite. Like a cell phone, though. It's, Although. It's a good pocket fit. Uh, that's what I was going to say. I like that it feels like it's a comfy hold. Like you hold it, it's comfy. Mm-hmm. And that's using true. it, you've got the the shape of it kind of fits to your palm. And then you can still line it up to scan stuff or, 
you know, sonic. I want him to say whatever. something along the lines of like, oh, it's a more ergonomic design and I'm getting older, so it fits more comfortably in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> when he's clearly the buffest doctor we've ever had. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's like, but in my old age, I need this yeah. because my my eyes are going bad and I'm going to drop it and this one I can catch because it's flat. <laughs> it is amazing that they took the extra time in the prop design to put the Rwandan proverb on it. Yes. Um, yes. And that's that's one that's one of the aspects I I absolutely love about this because it it is it's a Rwandan proverb written in circular Gallifreyan that fits the doctor so perfectly. For those who have not done uh, have not watched the clip yet or are not yet familiar with the with the statements that we're blathering about, um, around one of the center points on the new Sonic, uh, it, as Jay said in the in the circular Gallifreyan, is a translation of a Rwandan proverb that, in in true Doctor fashion, says that the sharpness of the tongue defeats the sharpness of the warrior, mind over muscle. So that's a reminder, a very, very stark reminder of the fact that this iteration of the Doctor is fully cognizant of where they are supposed to be and the, and the function that they carry. So I kind of love it. It's a little bit more back to the Eccleston type of let's solve things mm. logically and with our brains before we start being violent or reactionary towards it. So I'm hoping that we yeah. get some of that feel. Mm -hmm. So the, the other news article we've got All right. is the... Bye. <laughs> oh, yeah. Julie, Julie's going to tap out of this one because she doesn't want to know anything that's happening in a couple of weeks. So we'll just wave frantically at the at our recording screen here when it's safe for Julie to come back. <laughs> the marketing department has already dropped uh, a, a surprising musical number from the church on Abbey Road. I mean, we've got... Uh, wait, so hold about, on, back up. The church on Abbey Road? Yeah, sorry. Ruby Road. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, we, we've got goblins singing about babies. Uh, there's no David Bowie in a wig, though. So mm -hmm. missed opportunity on that one. That's true. But yeah, I have, uh, have either of you actually listened to the tune yet? A couple times. I have not A couple yet. times. <laughs> the lyrics don't really shy away at all for a Christmas no. special? You know, it's, mm, this one's going to feed us for about three days and <laughs> yep. let's tuck into the baby. Like, Ooh, explain that yeah. one to grandma across the couch. But and it's, it's British Christmas. It's always been more about ghost stories and things like that than, than yeah. we're comfortable on this side of the pond with. And as is the nature with holiday specials, it's the camp level gets amped up a little bit. So why are we dealing with True. you know goblins and babies and whatnot in the Christmas special? Because it's a Christmas special and they're freaking ridiculous. And uh, Doctor Mysterio was superheroes, and before that we had you know uh, dealing with Santa Claus and 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 and. So mm -hmm. lighten up, it's Christmas. <laughs> And when we come back in two weeks, we will be talking about that that's, uh, same Christmas special, The Church on Ruby Road. Yeah. First full story. Mm -hmm. We have a companion to meet or whatever we want to call him now. Traveling mate. <laughs> we, we, have to, we have to move away from Space Fam. True. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see how the, the doctor ends up labeling her. That's what I was going to say, how, how they come up with what they decide to call mm -hmm. each other. Well, this has been episode 510 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, 
Stooky babbies are so sweet. Stooky babbies want to eat. <laughs> no. Bite down on Julie. Bite down. <laughs> and this is Kier saying, hey, listen, when you're feeling sad and low, we will take you where you got to go. Smiling, dancing, everything is free. All you need is positivity. Colors of the world, <laughs> spice up your life. <laughs> This is Julie saying, so the next time when the doctors regenerate together, they're going to be doubled up on the layers of clothing? Is that how that works? <laughs> yeah. Two pairs of underwear. <laughs> and this is Haley saying, oh, well, that's all right then. We'll see you next time. LZ. Nailed it, Haley. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR. And you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime. Otherwise, nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.